You're listening to episode 33 of Daughters on Fire with your hosts, Robin Arab and Melissa Burton. In today's episode, Robin and I are going to tackle another tough conversation. So you've been grappling with the question of, should you move your loved one into a memory care facility? And you've come to the conclusion it's time, but now how are you going to do that? What does the move look like? This is the moment you've probably feared most of all, and it's right in front of you. So Robin and I are going to tell you some tips on how to make that a smoother transition. We're going to give you plenty of examples of how that's turned out successfully, even when it it was looking like it might go south. And we're just going to give you a lot of great insight, input, and guidance on what to do to make this a smooth transition. So stay tuned. Are you stressed, burned out, and looking for answers as you care for an aging parent? If you are, this podcast is for you. Here you will receive actionable advice from seasoned professionals, validation and compassion for the incredibly tough job you are doing, and most importantly, supportive love from a community of like-minded warriors. You're not alone. Join this powerful community as we support you on your complicated journey and help you transform into an empowered and calmer caregiver. All right, we're back today with another tough conversation. It's Robin and I checking in with you today, and we're keeping it real. This has actually been kind of fun, Robin. I feel like we've had some great, uh, you know, real talk over the last few episodes. And today, I don't think we'll be any different. Folks, we are going to talk to you about how do you make the move? Not, is it time to make the move? But literally, how do you make the move? I know that this is one of those dreaded moments when that you probably have been thinking about for a long time when you're dealing with somebody who has dementia and you're thinking memory care is probably going to be necessary at some point in time, but you're like, oh gosh, I hope I never get there. Or if we do get there, it's going to be so flipping hard. So Robin, jump in here and tell me a little bit more about your take on this with families, how it it is so hard. Well, and and I want to reiterate what you said that this isn't about making the decision. The decision has been made. The, the facility has been chosen and now you must move forward. There's many ways. And of course, as I say, there's, you know, you've seen one family, you've seen one family. So it's different for everybody. I think there are some similarities, but it is different. So you have to make the choice that's best for your family. And there are those beautiful, beautiful families that somebody agrees, totally agrees to move in and they want to help pick out what they have. And then there's other families that they're still kicking and screaming, even though your power of attorney has made the right decision for you and the family's discussed it and it's been purchased and you're ready to go, but maybe still not comfortable with the move. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We've talked about all these hard conversations and all these hard things you have to do. I guarantee you that it's just another mountain that you have to go through or a hill. Let's call it a hill. (laughs) And a fire ant hill. That's right. Well, true. As you get bit (laughs) along the way. So that's what we, we want to look at today. I, I will tell you from my experience, my mom kicked and screamed and, you will not take me 
and I'm not going to go. Actually, let me back up and say this, Melissa. I know, and I'm sure you have experienced this with your families as well, that the picture, when somebody says nursing home, I know that 95% of you picture that nursing home that's dark and dank and the beds are all lined up and you've got very sterile. Yes. And that's not what it is today. That's not what it looks like today. I think my sister would always talk about, I don't want to go and people in the hallway screaming and hollering. And and that still happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it doesn't look that sterile anymore. It does look more uh, as if a kind of hospital looks like setting. a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. The hospitals, it, the hospital sterile setting has moved right. more into a luxury hotel setting. Exactly. <laughs> and so, sometimes now it has nothing to do with the setting as to why people um, have a hard time moving in. It, it's, it's the care. The people are more important than what it looks and feels like because the look and the feel, man, that has been upgraded for sure. Right. So she knew we had made the decision. So I narrowed it down to two facilities. We went in, she actually chose the one she preferred, which again, back to that, we're not going to get into that today, but you know what you prefer. So don't show her things you don't prefer. So we went in, what we decided is my sister and I packed up what she needed out of her house And then my nephews came and moved the big pieces. So she stayed. We had her go into the new apartment so she could tell them where she wanted things put. And they would carry it in and come and go. And then my sister and I came back later and undid the boxes and and did all those type things for her. Only because that's that's my forte and not her forte, I would have been right there saying where I wanted things. She, not so much. But of course, because I knew her, I knew she was short, where to put things that she could reach and things like that. So that's one scenario. She willingly went in at that point and helped us place her furniture and things like that. One of the most important things I did first was get that TV going because if your loved one is like most older folks, they do like to have the TV and watch the TV and that kept her occupied during that time. That was a very easy scenario, I think, based on my mom's personality and and things to come. There are families that are afraid to make the move. And it might be better to have an outsider do it. There's many companies that can do the move. I just happen to have nephews that could do it. But there's companies that will actually help downsize and choose what to move in. There are facilities that you can rent the furniture and have it staged for a while until you decide what you want to bring in it. It really depends on where you are in the walk of getting downsizing or moving things over, I think. But yep. so Melissa, what do you do when somebody doesn't want to go and they are unwilling to go and they're saying they're not going to go? Have you encountered that with your families? Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice? um, Yes. So uh, again, a little backstory here. Some of you may or may not know that I worked as a care manager for a company. Actually, we've had Jody 
Jackson on from LifeLinks and I used to work at LifeLinks. And one of the things that we often had to do was help families through this whole transitional time from making the decision to implementing the new plan. And we said, let us help you. Let us help you get them moved. And so we had to get very, very creative in making it a smooth transition. We had to utilize teamwork. We had to utilize therapeutic lying. We had to utilize um, distancing the family if necessary and pulling in different, again, team members. And anyway, you really have to get creative in order to make it the least stressful as it possibly can be. So with that, I'm going to tell you a few stories that helped. You mentioned the moving companies. We here locally, there was a moving company called Let's Get Moving. They probably are still working. That would literally, and again, folks, this is definitely more expensive because of the level of attention to detail that they would take. They would go in to the setting that the loved one was coming from and literally take pictures so that they could recreate the environment as closely as possible in the new space. And then they would take care of the whole move. So I don't know how common this type of mover is out there. You might not have something like this in your area, but somebody who can take really pay attention to detail. So they're recreating the environment because sometimes it may be that they lived in a space for a house for 40 years and it's the whole space they're going to miss. Sometimes they have their little, they have their chair, they have their TV, they have their routines and their kitchen and, and you can recreate that. You can literally bring those pieces of furniture. And so working with experts in that area help make it so that they're in their new little home away from home. So that was definitely something we utilized a lot. You know, that's very interesting. I I did not realize, I know the company you're talking about, and I did not realize they went to that detail. Uh, It also reminded me of my mom didn't have a chair, but she had the end of her couch. And you could tell she sat there because it was dirtier than the other side, just from hands touching it, or she spilled her tea and things like that. And that was the primary thing she kept saying is I'm going to miss my couch. And we kept saying, your couch will be there. So I love that you brought that up. I think that's great. And I think it's important. We all have our favorite spots, whether we're old or young, where Absolutely. we want to sit. And the way we had designed our shelves with our knickknacks in a certain place they would recreate that. It was amazing. There was one family that we worked with that the daughters were out of town. In fact, the mom went to see the daughters out of town and we carte blanche with the moving company and with LifeLinks were to move her so that when she came back into town, she'd move directly into the facility. So the amount of trust that that family put into us at LifeLinks and, um, let's get moving was so high. I mean, we had to be extreme, like the highest integrity and reliability that you can possibly imagine. They, they had the keys to the apartment. They were in there. They would find money in books as they were taking the books down. They would take pictures. They would find the silver and stuff. They'd be taking pictures. They'd let the daughters know this is what we're finding here is what we're going to be giving to you when we get it all settled in the next place. It was, I mean, it, it, it was a level of comfort that as a professional, I was 
super impressed with. So if you can get a team in there like that, that will make you as the caregiver feel good, will recreate an environment that will make your, your loved one feel good. They will get the floor plans so they know the exact spacing. So they're not trying to cram a couch that's like maybe four or five inches too long that sits, you know, now sticking out into the the hallway or Creating the, the new walkway. safety issues. <laughs> right. <laughs> trying to squeeze things in that don't go. So um, unbelievable. Utilize those resources. You might say, wow, that's super expensive. We can do it. We can do it with our nephews and it may be just fine. But if you feel like this is something, this is a situation where we're all going to be under pressure, we would like for it to be as smooth as possible. We want to create an environment and we want to be smart about it. Well, invest in being smart. So that's one piece of advice that I saw in action that was phenomenal. The other is just being very creative. Again, that family and, and us, we were very creative in that we were doing all of this while the mom was not there, right? And you might instinctually think, oh, well, as daughters, we need to come back into town. We need mom to be right in the middle of the move. So again, get creative and utilize resources out there. So another fun story, and I'm so proud of the story because it was definitely creative and the outcome was perfect. We had a family that had moved a couple into town from their original home out of state and into an assisted living that was regular assisted living, wasn't a memory care, and they needed to go to memory care, not in that facility. But the first move was very, very difficult on the whole family. It was difficult on the children that made the move. It was difficult on the parents. And even though there was some memory deficits, the, the parents, both of them, had different levels of dementia. They uh, didn't, of course, realize they had dementia and were a little bit bitter at their children for making that move. The father was a lawyer and any any talk about leaving that facility or any change, he would say he was going to sue his children if they tried anything like that again, right? <laughs> like it was very tense. And, you know, behind the scenes and even the, the family knew not to take it personally and maybe chuckled a little, but when they were interacting, there was a lot of tension and where they were, they'd got to a level where they were no longer appropriate in regular assisted living. They, they were not getting the care that they needed. They would go, they would sit right in front of the front door all day long. So they were kind of becoming like a flight risk because they always wanted to leave. Why? Because they saw people coming and going all day long. A lot of stress on the family. And so we knew that they were attached to their independence and their decision-making, but not the facility. So what we decided to do was we, the family coordinated this move and the day it was going to happen, we, LifeLinks, me and another care manager took the couple out to lunch. And our plan was we were going to tell them in the middle of lunch, again, people, this is therapeutic lying at the, its best. And some people might flat out not like that this happened, but it worked. So in the middle of lunch, I was going to get a call from the facility or from a family member to say that their apartment had been flooded and that nothing, none of their belongings had been damaged, but they could not stay in their apartment any longer and that their 
family, their daughter and the facility had scrambled and they found a place for them to go to for now while they fix the problem. And again, you have to work in the moment and the idea for now, like, well, would they eventually want to go back? No, there was no attachment to this place, right? So once they got settled, they probably would have forgotten everything. In fact, they did. So I'm so I in the middle of lunch, I get the call and I come back to the table. I'm like, "You're there was a plumbing issue in your apartment. There's now a plumbing problem and you can't go back to this apartment." Luckily, your daughter and the, the facility, they're getting all of your furniture out, every all your belongings out. Nothing's been damaged. And they have, they found, they don't have space there at the current facility, but they have coordinated for you to stay at this other place. And at first they're like, oh, really? Okay. And then I'm like, don't worry. Your daughter will just say her name was Jean. Jean is taking care of it. And she's going to meet us there. And they're so sorry this is happening to you. And they're going to make it right by setting this new place up for you. Again, that's one big whopper of a lie. And how did they feel? They felt so appreciative. So we took them from a nice lunch. There was no bitterness. There was no anger, irritation. By the time we got to the new facility, they hadn't completely moved in, but they'd gotten a lot of their stuff in. So they come in, their daughter, Jean is there and they're like hugging her thinking they're, Oh, thank goodness. We really appreciate it. By that evening, they're settling in, they're eating dinner, they're calm, and they realize that, oh, we're being pampered because there was a situation and we had to move unexpectedly, but everybody is taking care of us. Everybody is being so kind and accommodating. They never again asked about the other place because it wasn't the best fit for them. They were agitated while they were there. So it was unbelievably effective. It worked so well. Could this work for everybody? No, but it worked for them. They were appreciative of their children helping them move. That would not have happened if we did not come up with this game plan. So we had to be really, really creative. It worked. They were calmer. They settled into their new place. They liked it better. And end of story, the move went off the best way it possibly could have with a big fat lie, people. That's sometimes how it has to work. And the caregiver came out smelling like a rose because she was the hero in the story that she went and had it all set up and took care of it. So they didn't have to worry about it where she may not have been that person. Oh, no. Had she forced them to pack up and move and go again. So So by giving them the gift of that story, we were giving them that relational bond with their daughter and de-stressing the move and absolutely and it worked it it worked out great and this is not the first time that we've had to get really creative sometimes it works better than others but that's again that's when you do make the move you never say permanent you say here's where you go for now this is what we're working on for now you never say this is your new home i would really discourage people from using that kind of terminology this is your new home that's that can get immediate resistance highlight what's good about it and and talk about them settling in if they're really agitated and upset by them let them be leave them there let them be upset and say okay well let's regroup next week 
and then let them just start acclimating to the staff and let other people come in and sue them or talk to them or distract them and ask them about themselves. And then all of a sudden they have all these people that are so interested in them and they want to know about who they were and they, they make comments on their pictures and, and they start winning them over. It's so much more important for the facility to start winning them over than it is for you to convince them they're in a good place. Get out of the way. Let the facility do it. I love that. Get out of the way. That's perfect because we do tend to hover. We tend to be the helicopter caregivers. We want everything to go perfectly. And they know in the facilities, your parent is not their first rodeo and they know what works and what doesn't. And they are also there to soothe you and help you with that transition. We had a family that she moved to a beautiful facility. She was not ready to go. She knew in the future that at some point she would go, but they brought her into a fully furnished apartment and told her she was on vacation. And the vacation lasted. And then they decided, well, wouldn't you like to stay here long-term? So they went through all of that and they brought her in and she now has her own apartment. Apartment. Now, one of the transitions, which I think is really helpful, especially with memory patients or those on the verge, and this lady did not have memory issues, but her family called her the princess. So she was used to being waited on hand and foot. Bring that caregiver that you have in the home. If you already have a caregiving situation at home, that caregiver knows their routine better than you do because they're there all the day. So help them transition. And usually that'll phase out in a week or so once they're comfortable, once they are meeting people. I know we have one lady that talks about when her husband did go into a facility that she made up a little plaque and said who he was and gave some background. Now, he did have memory issues, but might be a way of introduction for the staff to get to meet your parent and know a little bit more about them, what their likes and dislikes are, things like that. I'm sure they take that down in the original assessment, but just to keep it going and to have somebody interested in them, I think is a huge part of it. And there are a lot of people that come and go in facilities and memory care units that don't necessarily look at the care plan meeting and their engagements, you know, that aren't a part of just the the care team at the facility, volunteers, and other visitors, even family members of other people. So if you have those pictures, if you have those cues of what they loved, they're using those as conversation starters. So putting old pictures, that's another thing that I learned, and it's so true. Don't put pictures from this year all throughout their room. It may be, oh, here are the great grandkids and here's my uh, son, their grandchild that just graduated from college. Don't do that. Go back 25, 30 years ago and, and put those pictures, those they remember, those they can identify. It may feel weird that they are seeing a picture of you like at 20 and that feels more normal to them than you today, but that is very comforting, not the pictures of they, you know, you at 25 holding their first grandchild, maybe a picture they remember, not the grandchild is, oh, on his wedding day, right? (laughs) That happened last summer. So just remember that, that sometimes they latch on and they can identify those deeper memories. There was an analogy and I loved it about 
memory issues being like a bookcase. So at the very, very bottom, you have your oldest memories. And then you go up to like every decade is a different level of the bookshelf. And then memory, like memory cognition issues come along, Alzheimer's or whatever, and the, the bookshelf gets shaken right? So what are the memories that are going to fall? Mostly it's from the top down. So that the, the, those that are at the bottom and less likely to be disrupted and shaken off the bookshelves, they're going to stay. So remember that yesterday, what you had for lunch, that book's off the bookshelf. Maybe last summer, the vacation you all took, but those memories of in 1982, we all went to Disney World. That may still be there, right? Or them thinking about like they feel like a child or they see a, their daughter and it, they think it's their wife because mom and daughter looked alike. So just remember that when you're dealing with people and what memories you're putting up in the space around them. One of the things I love about most of the assisted living and probably I don't know if it's independent living or not as well, but even in the nursing areas, a lot of times they'll build a niche outside of the door where they'll decorate with. And I've always enjoyed walking up and down the halls, seeing what's representative of the person who's in there. There were several ladies on my mom's floor that had very pretty floral wreaths and somebody had a pineapple sitting outside. And my mom, we put a a plaque that said, about the cat lives here, you're just visiting, because that described her as well. She got to take her cat with her. So those things help tell people as well and helps with the adjustment. So Melissa, what would you say if now in the middle of COVID, we're dealing with we really can't go in, and we're looking at the transition of how do you move somebody into a facility when you can't get in there? Or what does that look like? Have you dealt with any of that? I have. And that's a really tough question. I am I may actually surprise people. I, I know a lot of families that have put a hold on the move because it's something that they're not yet ready for. That, oh, mom moving into a facility and us being the training wheels and visiting and helping her acclimate, that made sense. But now just dropping her off and being like, you know, hands off that, that doesn't feel right. There have not always been great success stories with this. It's been difficult in the situations where it's totally necessary. Building that communication and trust with the facility is so very vital. And you have to also appreciate that you're going to, it's going to take time to get to know each other. I've been frustrated hearing about facilities that have struggled to really be empathetic with what it might feel like for a loved one to be in a facility on both sides, the loved one in the facility and the loved one out of the facility and almost calling and calling and calling to get updates and check in. Of course, the staff is getting frustrated, but my goodness, it's like they can't check in. So they really need that lifeline. So vetting the facility is going to be huge. Maybe going in and asking what are the protocols, what are they doing in order to really accommodate this change. It may be certain facilities are allowing visits in with more, some may just be saying no visits. They're taking the, the rules and the mandates and 
they are saying nothing. It may be that you don't necessarily want to go into that type of facility right now. Maybe those people in that facility, their health exposure to COVID is less, but they're at risk more for social isolation and changes. And so you evaluate the facility. That would be it is that I would say is that if this has to happen right now, just do your due diligence in communication and finding out exactly what, what the staff will do, um, how they're reacting, what appropriate communication would be, because you don't want to overdo it and wear them out. And then all of a sudden the trust is gone. And then there's, you know, then you've created this gap between you that you may not be able to heal. So it's tough. It's tough. I I don't know that I would, I would only be putting my loved one in a memory care right now if it was dire. Honestly, that would be me personally feeling kind of scared about having, not having the ability to visit like I would like to. So let's talk a little bit about the psychology of dropping one off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know the first night that my mom was there, my sister kept saying, I think you need to spend the night. So I mentioned to the administrator and the administrator said, that's not really a great idea. And I know that there are some facilities that think, give it two weeks, let them adjust and don't visit. I don't know that I agree with that because that feels a little bit like abandonment to me. But that doesn't mean you going in, it might mean you sending in a caregiver like we talked about or a friend from church or a close friend or somebody that's coming by that they're familiar with that shows the routine hasn't just totally been cut off, but that you're in and out. But we we are working with a family right now and she her original plan was to take mom to lunch, drive up to the facility, have the facility come get mom and take her inside. She said, it doesn't matter how nice we make it or how rough we make it. Mom's not going to adjust. It's going to be ugly. And we talked about it a long time. I think it's very harsh to do that. We did manage to get some dates shifted around and the caregiver is actually going to move her in, which I think is a better deal than the daughter moving her in. But then the daughter is still going to be in the area where originally she was going to fly back home because she is a long distance caregiver. And I just felt like maybe she needed to be there, not necessarily in front of her mom, but to work with the administration on the adjustment and moving in and work with that caregiver. So talk a little bit about, so when somebody is actually resistant They absolutely do not want to go. And we've talked about the therapeutic line and tricking them in there. And they, folks, they get adjusted. They really Mm -hmm. do. And it, one other thing, Melissa, before I move on is want to point out that when somebody does make a move, whether it's from hospital to home, home to a facility, home to a relative's house, they tend to be more confused. And it takes a few weeks for them to get reacclimated and adjusted to their new area. So you might think, oh my goodness, what has happened? What a decline. And it's just them relearning. It takes a little bit longer. But that being said, I suppose there are times when we do just have to go and drop them and, and leave as far as safety issues. But talk about that, Melissa. What do you think about that? What are your feelings about that? Well, You made me think of three great points, Robin, and I'm going to try to remember all three. (laughs) One, they're going to look 
worse. Their memory issues are going to look worse when they first move in because they were compensating, (laughs) right? They were compensating in their environment. So one, be ready for that. Two, like Robin said, they will adjust. This disease loves structure, routine, and consistency. So once that's reestablished, that is going to feel safe and normal to them. Okay. So that becomes their new norm. And if they get that nurtured in in this environment, they're going to be okay. And three, a very brilliant person I know named Robin Arab says, (laughs) if you've met one family, you've met one family. So if you've met one individual, you've met one individual. You've got to be paying attention to what's the best for that person. Don't try to put them in a box. Really follow the best advice out there and apply it to that person. So for some families, it may be drop them off, plug in, maybe make calls, have somebody they know and love that's checking on them, but you're the trigger, you're the daughter that they're very angry with. Back off for a little while while they... While the dust settles and and they their frustration eases, right? Or it may be that the daughter is their comfort and their security blanket. And so the daughter does need to be there. I don't necessarily recommend the overnight stuff because that's I mean, you have to kind of let the let the situation play out and you're not going to be living there. So it may not make a whole lot of sense for you to create a situation that's not repeatable, right? So play it by ear. Don't overdo it. Don't be that helicopter caregiver. The key to really making it work is to communicate. You communicate with the facility and you trust and allow the communi- the facility to communicate back with you. Create a really good trusting relationship with the power brokers, <laughs> I'll say. It may be that when you're there, that you talk to the head nurse and then quickly as you were moving in, you learn that, oh, the caregiver, the CNA that is going to be taking care of your mom most days, she's the power broker. She's the one that's going to get to know your mom the best and tell you the insides of what's going on and text you when things are going wrong. And so she's the one that you may need to communicate with closely in addition to if there are issues and problems, you know, then you also want a relationship with the management and the higher ups. So realize who it is that's going to be in there. Who are your strategic alliances in the facility? Who's going to show the love and attention to your loved one? Bond with them, connect with them, allow your parent to connect with them and don't get jealous. It may be one day you go in And they are like hugging on them and bragging on them and saying that they're the best thing since sliced bread. And that may really sting and hurt. And I get that. I totally get that. But don't sabotage the situation at that point out of, you know, sadness and rejection. Just realize that, oh my gosh, they now are in love with the situation and they're really bonding with those people providing their care. That feels really good. That is great. Great advice. Absolutely. I think that's smart to remember because I think that happens quite often. And that right. That, People that's say, perfect. yeah, I wish I they I wish I could go in a place and they would give the type of care that I would give to my loved one. I'm like, no, you don't. Because if they are, you're going to be like, 
<laughs> they love mom more than I do or or my husband or or someone else. It's like they they care about them and, and my my loved one cares about them. What? I feel I feel like unimportant now. Right. I love that. That that's good. That's great advice. And maybe us talking about this, Robin, and everything we've said today lays the groundwork for ideas and for anticipating emotions so that people are going into it with their eyes a little bit more wide open and and they'll be better prepared. I hope so. That's our goal, right? That's why we do what we do. (laughs) That's what we're here for. Is to try to make this journey a little easier. Well, great conversation. I enjoyed that today. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Robin. And we will catch you all on our next episode. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and ask that you subscribe to this podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a review so we can reach more women like you. You are not alone on your journey and the Fire Tribe is here to support you. Check us out at DaughtersOnFire.com and our Facebook group for more support and resources. Until next time, remember... You are the fire that fuels the engine of life.